And he's equipping the church for ministry that is multicultural at the center of the poor women and children. Are the parallels striking you here? I mean, I don't know that I saw this even when I prepared this house this week. The parallel to our cultural moment where if something is going to be seen as significant, it must be seen as addressing the culturally disenfranchised, minority ethnic groups, women and children. Amazing. So, one more piece of teaching before we jump to the southern proper. So, Luke breaks this gospel into his five steps to mission. 
We'll look at two of them this morning. Five steps to mission. First of all, in chapters 1 and 2, just the foundation for mission, which is that God works sovereignly. He works sovereignly to prepare to save the world through Jesus. And so we need to trust Him in that. We'll see one example of that. And in ministry preparation, Luke tells us in 3 and 4, that God is preparing the people of His own for the call is to repent and be filled with the Spirit. And then, typical and in common with Matthew and Luke, his third step is the missing model. In other words, you see this in all three steps of the gospel that he wants to live. But before Jesus trains the disciples, he models what he wants them to do. So he preaches, he casts out demons, he heals the sick, and then tells them to do the same, right? But he models it, and so in chapters 4 through 9, he does that. And here's the fascinating thing. The fourth section, the fifth section of Luke, is the mission crisis and resolve of the death, uh, the rest death, uh, and uh, resurrection of Jesus, right? But the fourth section is what Luke brings uniquely in chapters 9 to 19, roughly. And those that have had uh, Dr. Abel working this, this is mostly Q material. So, in other words, this is material that Matthew and Luke share that Mark doesn't have. And Matthew puts it into. Uh, five teachings, Spanish writers, gospel, five books of Moses, and Moses, right? But Luke just clunks it in in chapters 9 and 19 largely as an oversimplification. And what's it about? Forming and training disciples on the road to Jerusalem. It's about discipleship. Because that's Luke's he lives in a culture where there's a, you know, a few big revivals in the book of Acts, but most of the ministry among the Gentiles, there's a little bit of response and some discussion. It's not a big, exciting Latin American revival, right? It's ministry, discipleship, talking with people late at night, sharing the gospel of Jesus, and then establishing them in a life of walking with Jesus. That was ministry in the first century of the Roman Empire. And so we'll mainly emphasize this in our review of Luke this semester. But this morning we want to look at foundations and preparation. So we've got to make disciples. It's got, it's got to call. It's not okay. It's wonderful, but not okay to merely bring people to the point of faith in Jesus. It's wonderful, but it's not okay to stop them. We must make disciples. That's the call of God. So how do we prepare ourselves to make disciples? So Luke gives us several action steps to prepare to make disciples. The first way to prepare to make disciples is to trust God's promise. So in Luke chapter 1, two people are given a promise of a miraculous birth. Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah will read Luke chapter 1, 11 to 20. An angel shows up, explains that he's going to have a son, and that uh, his son will turn many to God, and he'll come in the spirit and power of Elijah, which Zachariah as a priest would probably understand, whoa, wait a minute, this sounds like Malachi, this sounds like, whoa, my son's really important, right? He doesn't believe it. Look at verse 18. And that's why he asked the angel, how, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well along. You kind of like, you know, an angel showing up and saying, hey, you and Kathy are going to have a son. He's going to be revival to America. We're like, wow, what is now? You know, we're too late for that, right? <laughs> Woo, right? Oh, my. Okay. And he struck dumb. 
until John's name. But notice Luke's point. Zachariah's doubt doesn't stop God's plan. As some of you, you wrestle, I've got some doubts. God has a sovereign plan. He's working to save the world, and nothing's going to stop it. Not even doubt. I don't want to go too lost in this, but it's so ironic to me that Luke is a Gentile. Is the only one who picks up on the connection with Chronicles and recognizes that the people of God are people praying worship and serving the law, waiting for God in the temple, and so they're sitting in an era, waiting for God, the righteous woman, waiting for God, praying and fasting in the temple. Hallelujah. Woo! A Gentile picked up on that. Good scholar. <laughs> but he says God's plan is not spoiled by God. You get that doubt. Sure. Wrestling, heaven, hello? Is anybody else awake here? Yeah. Right? God's plan is not slowed by your doubt. Mike Long has stood up and challenged and said, you're, you're history makers. And you say, that's great. And then you get some money more than like maybe. God's plan is not slowed by your doubt. He's got a plan. You know, just, just surrender now. I mean, just because he is moving. God is moving in these things. Just surrender. He's moving to a radical trust. Come look at Mary. Now read verse 29. Uh, you know, in Luke, you can't get the woman showing up the men here. Uh, verse, verse 9. She's, uh, did I get that right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. 29. Uh, no, that is not correct. Oh, I'm in chapter 2. Ha ha. There we go. 129. Mary was clearly troubled because the only thing shows up says you can have a kid, right? She's in case she's not married. This is not 21st century America. This is 1st century Palestine. Right? And Mary was clearly troubled this word. So what, what kind of thing this might be? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll be with a child and give birth to a son. He's given the name Jesus. Joshua, that would be. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of David forever, and his kingdom will never end. Well, um, how can this be, Mary asked? on the virgin. And he answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You can be elected with your relatives and have a child in their old age. And he who is said to be barren is in his six months, and nothing is impossible with God. Here is Luke's model response. Verse 38 I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So Luke uses Mary as the model of radical trust. In this chapter, Mary set up by God to look bad, to look like an unwed mother. In that culture, that reputation would follow her the rest of her life in a small village. And she trusts God and she becomes the mother of God. You've got to see this because Luke's telling the story to do many things, but one of them is to make disciples. Disciples trust radically, no matter how it looks, disciples trust radically even when it's uncomfortable. So I'm just going to do what you say, Lord. I'm the servant. 
You know, when Joseph had in mind the divorce, they were told by Matthew, she could have chosen bitterness. God, I just need now them. God is a fantastic writer of novels. The best author in the universe. You know, in novels are like, there's tension. The middle of the story nearly always presents us with a choice. Will I radically trust or blame God and become embittered, or maybe engage in some hedonistic compensation? Oh, I did this for you, God, and it didn't work out, so now I'm going to go do this. You've never done that, right? No. <laughs> God is a fantastic novelist. In your story, will you say with Mary, I'm the Lord's servant, and he to me, as you said? Let me get specific. I just, I'm amazed. The scriptures that I had written down that people have already mentioned. God's hand is having your life to bless you and make you fruitful. John 15, 7, 15, 16, 15, says, He did not choose me, I chose you, and placed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. If you remain in me, my words remain, and you ask me to do what will be done to you. This is for my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. We trust that when it doesn't look so good. In the middle of the story, being married. The first way to prepare to make disciples is to trust God's promise. The second way to prepare to make disciples is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, Luke, oh my gosh, this is all over the place. One, 141, Luke is filled with the Spirit. 167, Zechariah is filled with the Spirit and prophesies. Look at uh, Luke 3 21. Um, it says here, on the eighth day, when the sign of circumcising, is that right? Okay, here we go. Uh, he was named Jesus, named the angel given him before he was conceived. Uh, and he was presented to the Lord. Okay, I'm a little lost in my notes here. Uh, I feel like, oh, I'm in chapter two. That's my problem. I'm just having trouble with chapters today. Bear with me. Okay. I'm like, wow, this looks weird. Yeah, okay, here we go. Uh, baptism of Jesus 321. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now let's break that down a little bit, read that again. And look, verse 22, Heaven was open, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. It's there Jesus, the, Holy, the, the Spirit descends like a dove, and a voice says, This is my son, the Father, right? Trinity, right there. As the Trinity, right at the baptism of Jesus, with him I am well pleased. And then, uh, well, we'll read this a little bit later. Um, Luke tells us to be filled with the Spirit in Luke 24 49, the end of the Gospel, when Matthew tells us to go make disciples. Luke says, wait, just hang out a little bit before you do. 24 49, stay in the city till you're filled with power from on high. So read this just a second here, Acts chapter 1. Chapter 2, excuse me. Acts chapter 2. He tells me to wait for the Spirit. And I want you to see that Luke and Acts make something very, very simple but very profound, clear. So it's, uh, it's 40 days after Jesus had ascended to heaven after his death and resurrection. Because when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Acts 2. Something sounded like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house of their city. 
the Philistine to become as fire and separate from the rest of each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And what happens is this, there's Jews, but they're Jews from all over the Roman Empire, so they hear them praising God in their own language, like, what is going on here? Right? And so they gather together, and Peter preaches a sermon that's sovereignly prepared, and uh, they, uh, many of them profess faith in Christ. Look at uh, verse 38. Peter replied, "The time will be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord of God will call. And so 5,000 people uh, become Christians that day. And, um, and so Luke is saying, so I just want to say to you, we have a variety of experiences here in, in, in God, and that's great. Uh, but that I urge you, ask God to fill you with His Spirit, and He's going to pour out on you. He will enable you to speak for Him. And tongues uh, often, I would say usually happens as a sign of the gospel for all nations, right? It's called all nations. But then also, boldness to speak for Christ in many situations. See, Lee said, be willing to be uncomfortable, but, you know, God pours out His Spirit on us regularly, right? He pours His Spirit out on us to give us power to speak. So that when He makes us uncomfortable, He's not saying, now you're on your own. He's saying, I'm going to give you power and you'll be able to speak the Word of God. And so, if you've never really been filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a little bit new to you, or like how many people say, yeah, I prayed for that and it was cool, I felt God, I don't really know what to do with it. Talk with us and help you coach you in really growing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we have different gifts, but everybody, everybody, everybody needs the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You need to organize You need the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen, in teaching about prayer, says this, Jesus says this, If you know that you're evil, not to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So I just want to say, don't the spiritual life to Luke and to Jesus is the ordinary Christian life. So I just, again, just encourage you, if this is really, really new to you, you might need to study and think about it. You can grab me and give you a Bible study on it. Let me think about it and talk with you. But, but I really urge you, because um, I don't want somebody to just kind of run to an experience out when they're what they're doing. They want to understand biblically. Right? But this is so crucial to see Christians get tired because they're ministering in the power of human strength. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what, and understanding the grace of God in that is what enables us to serve God for a lifetime of joy. Right? So, so that's just, I think, a word to the wise. Uh, if that's for you now, the other possibility would be like, oh, you know, I'll run into people and say, oh, yeah, that happened to me 10 years ago at youth camp. I spoke in tongues. And I said, well, what about since then? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Uh, right now. So the second way to prepare to make disciples to be filled with the Spirit is another way to prepare to make disciples. And here, this is really the main point this morning. The third way to prepare to make disciples is to live in the power of the Spirit. How can people be filled with the Spirit and have so little long-term result? I'll give you a clue right now. Luke 4, and I'm going to make sure I'm in Luke and not Acts, and I'm in chapter 4. So that when I read the verses, it will make sense. Okay, here we go. And if you are focused this morning, 
Luke 4, 1 to 14. We're going to read the whole thing so you get the picture, but I want you to know it's the first verse and the 14th verse. Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. For for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He had nothing for those days, and that's the he was hungry. Sure. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell the Son to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up into a high place and showed him an instant all the kings of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for some given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship it, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered, It's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, well, the devil got the idea that Jesus quotes scripture, so it's no temptation. The devil led him to Jerusalem and stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down here, from here. For it is written, <laughs> they will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Many people are filled with the Spirit, but it is the testing, it is the temptation and passing through that that enables you to return in the power of the Spirit. It's the testing that determines how you will use the power of that God has given you. What's in between? Temptation. So Satan tests Jesus, the first area is sonship, to try to create a rebellious son. The test is provision. Use your power to meet your needs. Jesus, like Zachariah and Mary, must trust God's promise Rather than use his God-given power to meet his own needs, you know, he's, he's, he is filled with the Spirit, but now he's tested. And the first testing is, how will you use this anointing from God? I mean, tragically, I know of people, anointed evangelists, that are now using it to sell cars. They're great persuaders. Well, you know, I need cars once in a while, but that's like... A waste of evangelistic gift to both, but you know what I'm saying. How many spiritually gifted people have fallen here? Using gifts to build my fame, my fortune, or meet my ego needs. But when we pass this test, we become kingdom builders, not my kingdom of God's. Great scripture, I cannot get lost here, but Deuteronomy 8. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man, humanity does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I ask you, what really sustains you? What really sustains your soul? What gives you life and enables you to continue in the calling that God has for you? So in Deuteronomy 8, we're just going to go over this for a moment. It's actually, it's one of the six key Deuteronomic principles to understand the whole system of the whole Bible. 
And Jack has two different situations with respect to money. The first one is when you lack, trust God to meet your needs, more, right? And the second half of the chapter, when you enter into what God's purpose is for your life without the promised land, then you're going to have plenty, and he says, don't forget God. So both of those temptations relate to provision. But the answer is the same in both cases. Man does not live on money alone, bread alone, whatever we might think we need for our material needs alone, but on every word. But if the word of God becomes more real to you and sustaining you than even the food you eat. That's what he's saying. And so, if there's temptation, you keep running into temptation, that, well, this will make me feel good. I'm not even talking about sin. I'm talking about, you know, this, this activity will make me feel good, or this food will make me feel good, or this is how I will sustain my life, and this is how I'll keep my energy going, this is how I'll be able to do what I need to do, and so this will make me feel good, this TV show, this entertainment, this thing, and no, man does not live on bread alone, but the Word of God is what will sustain you in the test. The truth of the Word of God is in your soul, it will sustain you. When everything else is really gone. I challenge you, I invite you to eat the Word of God. Don't speed read it. Fill your soul so that when the temptation comes and the clickbait is right there, you're like, the fact is not going to sustain me. You've got that clever answer to just put that person down. But the ego can't sustain me. Only the word of God can keep me filled to fulfill my call. Second test. The test of worship. Verse 5. The devil led him up into a high place, showed him in an instant all the kings of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all the authority and splendor. For it's been given to me, and I can give to anyone who wants it. That's the phrase that hit me this time around. Michael, really? Is he lying there? Is that the truth? You know, I think that was a liar. You can't believe what he said. But I thought, yeah, you see that, don't we? He can give us, but whoever he wants, you ever see this? Right? I'm in first grade washing dishes with my mom and my cousin who lived with us who parents were divorced, going to St. Thomas or you know, whatever it was from school, St. Kate's by the North East. And all of a sudden, you know, this little tiny tin, little transistor radio, you know, she goes, yeah, 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 she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've heard of the Beatles? Yeah, okay. Right. And, and in five years, these guys took over the world, right? I can, I can give the splendor this way to anyone I want to. For it's mine to give. Just, uh, let me really say worship me. Look, just a sort of few obeisance before me, you know. It will be good. And here's what I want you to see in grasp. Who's going to rule the nation someday? Bible students? Can't talk about here. Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so what's the deal here? He's offering him his destiny without the cross. Right? He's destined to rule the world. 
Uh, the devil's not going to tempt you that way. That's what he does. He's going to tempt you with a way to find your destiny without paying the price of the cross in your life. That's the second temptation. The hidden temptation to every spiritually gifted person is to God gets, gets into your life and gifts start becoming evident. And people ask you to do things and you begin to realize a picture of your destiny. And then ways are offered that shortcut the suffering, that bypass breaking. And they give you a way out without facing character transformation. It's easier. If you want to bear lasting fruit, it's the suffering that we're tempted to compromise. Choose the cross, Jesus said. Anyone says it's easy to resist temptation has never tried for very long. <laughs> because facing the temptation is suffering involved. It's the suffering involved that tests us. The discontent choose the cross. Jesus answers with purity of worship. Worship the Lord and serve Him only. Purity of worship. So the answer to this seduction is not just purity of worship on a Sunday morning. What is worship? Worship is the offering of our lives to God. And so, a part of your daily prayer, I hope, you know, I pray through the Lord's Prayer, right? My Father, how have hallowed be thy name. That's an opportunity right there to offer myself again as a living sacrifice, right? To offer all of who I am that will can't let us to do today, that's every morning, right? I, Lord, I offer you my gifts, my calling, my time. You're in charge of my time. You're in charge of my money. You're in charge of all that I have, not out of fear or guilt, a joyful surrender, trusting that you can make the most of it. I'll tell you, I've been sitting where I sit. Most of you younger than me. I hope you feel this right now. I hope you feel this right now. And urgency, not out of guilt, not out of fear, to make the most of your life because it goes so fast. We have this life to prepare for eternity, to sow seed. To, to pour out our lives, to invest in people, to make a difference in people's lives. It is such a blink. And to choose well and wisely. And to work up for yourself every day to God. Let him lead you. Third temptation, verse 9. Then in the land of Jerusalem, having stand on the highest point of the temple, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. But if you had his hand is concerning you, to guard you, then they'll lift up in their hands. Let's just try to put against the stone. He says, do not put the word together. I don't know if I've ever felt this temptation, but I know I have. I have a test of sonship. I remember a time when I was struggling deeply with grace. And uh, I had a good friend, he's since gone to be the Lord, uh, so you know, identified. And, uh, and she just noticed that I was in this place of spiritual despair. My, my driving got a little scary. I didn't care that much anymore. Life was painful, and I was trusting the Lord. It was not getting better, and I was just getting a little reckless. And so what if I died? And she picked up from that and kind of called me out. Good friend. 
real son of God, like his behavior, in folly or despair or pride. If you're the son of God, the thing you can't say that prove your son's sake. You know what? You can't prove your son's sake. You can believe the word of God. If you doubt God's promise, no amount of miracles and answer prayer will raise that doubt. If you're the son of God, you know, you just said, not tempting God. Not going to do it. Not going to go with it. Jesus knows and trusts his identity as the son of God so that his ministry, his miracle ministry, out of compassion and not to prove anything. And he learns this lesson so well, you know what he does in the Gospels, right? He's healed from his authority. The opposite of us. Just, you're just there, maybe you're listening to a friend who's struggling. 
ministering that one to one, or whatever it might be, when you're just you're so given to the Lord, right? That's what we want to do. As you pass the test, you're turned in the power of the Spirit. So, three ways before we decide is the living power of the Holy Spirit. I'm on top of that, sorry. Too much coffee. Okay. So, Luke challenges us to be prepared. God's sovereignly working on the earth, not just back then, but today. And he has taken his place to you geographically and in a network of relationships. And things are going to happen. And you can say, like Mary, may it be to me according to your will. There'll be an opportunity to surrender your life as Tim Lewis, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Just encourage you, wherever your experience and background, to be thinking and you know, just to spend some time in prayer. You'd be luxuriating, really, ideally daily, but at least a couple times a week. And that extended time is to pray. You pray in tongues, you pray in tongues, you pray and seek the Lord. The Lord, give me the power of your spirit every day. I live in the power of the spirit. That's how to live in human strength. And then finally, to pass the test. Because we have one task. Because we have only one thing. is to make disciples of those who are As we live our life of discipleship, the greatest thing you can do any given year of your life is to take even one other person along with you on a ride with Jesus. To encourage you to open your soul, may you lift your hands toward the Lord. The Lord fill me with His Spirit. Lord, you promised that as a good Father, if we ask for the power of your Spirit, you're not going to give us some bad thing. You're going to do it. The Holy Spirit, I invite you right now to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill me, O God, in Jesus' name. Pour out your Spirit on every person here. Whatever's the background, in Jesus' name, pour out your Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pour out your Spirit. Hallelujah. So, Lord, we say, like, no, beats the Lord. Let these also as close you would. So, Father, all the different situations we're in. Hallelujah, God. Work in this life, O God. Hallelujah. So, as we close this morning, there's one. I'll pray and um, have some kind of background. Is there any people might be praying for a little bit for what I want to Give some opportunity for that. Um, maybe move fellows to the back of the room. And I just let people receive from the Lord for a while. Father, we thank you. We ask that you would be working. You know, some of us are facing some temptations. And I ask that you would break the power of these temptations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, others are yearning 
for more of your spirit. And that's confused when you're poured out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, as the word came earlier, you've almost been history makers. You've got a plan. We might be, some might be famous, some others may be known for him. But God is stirring. Hallelujah. So in a moment here, I'm going to close in a formal sense. I might ask for a couple people up front who want prayer for something else we haven't mentioned yet. Just go to them right away, and we'll uh, be praying. Hallelujah. Those that are at, at home, uh, online, we, we bless you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray that the, that the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with all of you. Lord, in Jesus' name, on all of us we pray, call out your spirit, do your work, that we be prepared for the ministry to which you call us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.